As I drive through Memphis, you probably see this in Atlanta. There's a church on every corner. You know, we're where Kojic, Church of God in Christ, was founded. So the problem isn't we need more churches. What I want is that as people of faith, do we have boots on the ground? And that's what Episcopalians are really starting to ask themselves in West Tennessee. Like, how can we be part of this larger conversation? And quite frankly, we've not always been at the table. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Hi, everyone. This is Bishop Rob Wright, and this is Four People, our weekly podcast here at the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta. So glad today to welcome the Right Reverend Phoebe Rofe, Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Western Tennessee. Bishop Phoebe, welcome. Thank you, Bishop Rob. It's good to see you virtually. (laughs) (laughs) Good to be with you. And uh, for our listeners, she and I can actually see one another as we're recording this podcast. Uh, Well, well, before we get into what it must be like to be the bishop of, uh, of Western Tennessee, including Memphis right now at this time in our nation's uh, life, uh, thinking about uh, all that we're thinking about. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about, about you and, and how you come to this work. We like to talk about faith and leadership here. You are a, a former lawyer who became a, a priest and then a bishop. You received a law degree from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock and clerked for two years for a federal court of appeals judge. Uh, You have been a rector of a congregation, uh, and you have been a priest on staff in New Orleans. Uh, And uh, in 2018, you were elected bishop. So so how do you hold together uh, the law uh, and uh, and your faith uh, and the work that we do as clergy people every day? We well, you know, Rob, there are a lot of former attorneys who are yeah. clergy. That's right. I wonder if that means we have more to repent from. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we understand a little bit about yeah. Paul's journey. Yeah. And that in trying to follow the law to the best of my ability, inevitably, I came up short. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm real aware of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the compassion And I kind of lean on that hard every day in this work. In fact, way before ordination. But yeah, I I think it's kind of knowing the areas where I fall short and really believing that God loves me anyway is sort of how I navigate that spirit of the law versus letter of the law. So it seems to me as as a lawyer who who is someone who ha- has been proficient at understanding the law and 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 serving in that capacity you would have a real robust understanding and deep understanding of grace too right Yes absolutely 100% Oh yeah Yeah Yeah, yeah. Uh, that thing we cannot earn nor do we deserve right That's right but you know there's <laughs> a part of me Rob that's still trying to earn it <laughs> you know yeah. there is right Yeah well, say more about that because you're not you're not the only one, and 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 that is not just for ex lawyers. Uh, I think I think the world makes a lot of sense to us if 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 we try to uh, build good lives, yes. and then and then get the goodness you know that we deserve. But we know that the world doesn't work that way. So how do you how do you work across that equation? 
You know, there are some people whose uh, theology tells them that once they've been baptized, right? And we say water, but in the blood of the lamb, yeah. they're cleansed forever and they're in. And I still think that the Lord is going to hold me to account for everything that I do. So maybe it's because I know some good uh, folks who've been baptized and who sit in churches but are still as mean and nasty and dirty as everybody else. That makes me think there's got to be a little more to it than just baptism. And then I can do whatever I want. And Jesus yeah. doesn't care. So right. I, while I want to embrace that grace, I want to hopefully out of profound gratitude for that, try to do things better tomorrow than I did today. I that's think right. that's I, where it comes from. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I think, you know, we in the church have to do a really, a much better job of articulating what you just articulated. And, and that is the good I do is in response to the good been done to me. Uh, and the deeper I go into the mystery of God coming to the world in the person of Jesus Christ, living among us, loving us, telling us stories to guide our feet, forgiving us when we fall short, the more I take that in, the deeper I take that in, uh, I hope uh, the more I am uh, responsive, right? Uh, and uh, uh, because I do think there is, what we don't want to do is frustrate grace, right? Yeah, I want to be working with grace. I don't yeah. want to be frustrating grace. <laughs> <laughs> where people say, oh, where God's sitting somewhere saying, oh, here's Rob again. Again, yeah. <laughs> Thank God for God's patience. Oh, yeah. Thank God Thank that we're not God. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Thank God for God's patience. Um, you, you, are, uh, you are coming to us from the city of Memphis. Uh, we are just days away um, from a vicious and horrific um, police brutality event. Indeed, a, a murder of an, of an unarmed uh, a citizen. Yes. Um, what's it like right now to be trying to talk about the love of God and the grace of God uh, in the city of Memphis right now when we are bombarded by these horrific images of five police officers, uh, you know, with all of these expletives and all this horrendous behavior toward one defenseless person? Yeah. Well, let me just give you, let's start off, Rob, by giving you a caveat that I made the decision not to watch the video. Sure. I have seen, the nation has seen, the world has seen so many of these horrific videos over the past few years in particular. But I suppose you could even go back to Rodney King, right? Which led to the burnings in LA. And so I feel like as an African-American I'm probably suffering from PTSD from the trauma of seeing all this pain inflicted on black bodies, right? There's sort of a morbid curiosity that we seem to have about watching this stuff over and over and over. Um, but it's, it's a tough time to be in Memphis. I think there's a great deal of anger and frustration and just hopelessness that yet again, these things are happening. Uh, I'm really grateful that things have remained relatively calm and that the protests haven't been violent. But I think if people don't feel like change, real change is coming, I can't predict what's going to happen in the future. There's a level of fear. 
of anxiety. I think people are having problems sleeping. It's just, there's a nervous, for me, a nervous energy about all of this. And it's just very heartbreaking to think that yet another mother is having to bury her child. Well, you know, we're, we're recording this podcast uh, on the day that, that uh, Tyree Nichols is, uh, his funeral is being performed. Yes. And, and uh, I've been working all day and, and haven't watched anything. Uh, but, and I think I'm partly guarding myself mm-hmm. um, because I, I know that I will be drawn into the grief of his mother. Yeah. And we have seen so many weeping black mothers on television. It, it, it can steal uh, the hope that we have um, in a better America, uh, in, a more, in, in, in better policing, yep. uh, in the possibility of progress. Um, and, and so, and yet, and yet when I have a chance today, I, I will watch the funeral um, I, I will hear from those who, who bring words of hope and consolation. And so, you know, uh, Phoebe, you, you have a distinguished and, and very impressive educational background. Uh, you're an American through and through. You have a Harvard degree and Princeton University. You've attended Virginia Seminary. I mean, you've attended um, these wonderful schools of, you know, commitments to learning. So how, how are you holding together, you know, being a, an African-American woman, proud of her heritage, rich heritage in your family, uh, all of your learning and, and you know, in all of this? How, how do you not turn away? How do you not lose hope? How do you not give in to cynicism? Yeah. Well, you know, I the first thing that gave me hope, Rob, is the prompt actions that were taken by those in authority. And, you know, there's a, there's some people who question why the five officers were immediately suspended and then fired. They've since been charged with murder. The investigation is still ongoing, but two other officers of the Memphis police department have been suspended. Uh, Two EMTs and a Lieutenant in the Memphis fire department have been terminated because of their failure to render aid. And now two members of the Shelby County Sheriff's Office have also been suspended while this investigation is ongoing. So I think unlike the situation that we saw in so many other instances, officers have been held accountable and charges have been filed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that this means categorically, you know, we're getting better you yes. know, at, at naming abuse um, and, and, and being proactive. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this isn't uh, only because the officers were also black. Uh, that is the criticism of some. I hope that categorically this means that we're going to get continually better in any jurisdiction that this kind of horror happens yep. at naming it what it is yep. and then taking decisive action. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So there have been lots of, as you might imagine, conversations with members of the clergy and Department of Justice representatives, the DA's office, the mayor's office, the police chief's office. 
And one sentiment that clergy from a very diverse ecumenical group of folks have said is that so often we're called in after the fact, right, to almost be a buffer between the members of law enforcement and the larger community. We're told, go to your constituency, preach, preach Jesus, preach calm, preach yeah. forgive, preach turn yeah. the other cheek. Right. But yet, once the crisis is over, then the communication stops. So what we haven't seen yet is what is the proposal for the ongoing structured conversation between members of law enforcement and the faith community where we're actually sitting at the table as partners in the process of change. I appreciate you saying that. That's a very important uh, point you're raising because I think sometimes that the vision of Christianity by by a good many of people, especially in times uh, of, of, of crisis and controversy, it is to just provide, you know, calm and consolation. Right. But the other word that comes to my mind that also begins with a C uh, is collusion. And, and, and I, think, I think this is where, you know, you were clear about the gospel and the law earlier. I think this is where we've also got to be clear about we're not here to give the status quo a pass. Uh, there's there's nothing in the ministry life death teaching example of Jesus that says we're supposed to give the status quo a pass, particularly in in um, you know instances where justice uh, is at issue, where 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 the weak and the vulnerable are been you know sort of trampled underfoot, and and I'm glad that you know to hear that maybe this is going to inflame some proactivity you know, in the clergy as well as in civil authorities, that we should be doing, we should be having these conversations, you know, more regularly. Um, one of the things that I did here and sort of fell into it was, is that we were having a rash of, uh, of violence uh, by law enforcement towards unarmed folks. Uh, I had a conversation with some folks and I ended up uh, preaching uh, at the graduation services of the uh, Atlanta Police Department. And, and then uh, either for my punishment or as praise was invited back to do it again. And, and, you know, it gives you a more balanced perspective of things. And so, you know, what I, I sort of know now at a deeper and better level than I knew before was, you know, we invite people to the front lines of law enforcement with really scant training and, and they're underpaid and overburdened. Um, and these these are no excuses by no means. Right. right. But but we, we 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 ought to describe things as they are. And I, I had a chance also to do a ride along with a police officer in, in one of our open air heroin markets here uh, in Atlanta. And and and, uh, you know, I can only imagine doing a job like that over a series of years uh, and, and what that begins to cost me in terms of my health, my mental health my spiritual health, et cetera. And so, uh, so I think what, we, what I want to say is, is that we, we've got to find a balance between uh, condemning uh, this kind of uh, terrible behavior and, and at the same time putting some training and some conversation in places and get ahead of this. 
Yeah. You know, even as people of faith, even as we talk about God's mercy and compassion, there's also something about justice, right? Yeah. And righteousness and God even demonstrating righteous indignation whenever faithful people are paying lip service to God's values. So I think we can hang our hat on insisting that systems change because isn't that what Jesus was about to? A little bit. <laughs> I think so. I think so. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that the, apparently several years ago, the MPD changed the basic minimum requirements to become a recruit Whereas formerly you needed either an associate's degree or 54 hours of college credit. Now it's 24 hours of college credit or, you know, additional years of experience. And that happened before I got here. And so, Rob, I don't know enough about what precipitated that sort of change. Were they having problems recruiting? But clearly additional information about uh, recruitment, training, deployment, you know, similar to the clergy process, police yes. Uh, yes. discipline themselves, right? <laughs> and so when an officer commits an infraction, that's often an internal review. The public doesn't know sometimes until much, much later what, what the incident that was even uh, explored or investigated. And so in what ways can the community be helpful not to micromanage or take over their job, but maybe to provide another voice, another perspective for them to consider? Hi, listeners. Thank you for listening to Four People, a space of digital evangelism. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to four people. Well, I, I tell you uh, what what all of this brings to mind if you, if you zoom out just a little bit, and, and that is just this conversation, you know, in, in our culture, in, in our music, um, in lots of cultural expressions that sort of celebrates violence. I mean, I mean, I, I talk to all kinds of people like you do, white and black alike, conservative, progressive on, you know, the entire spectrum. And I think some people are, are, are asking the question um, about, you know, some members of the black community being a little bit selective in talking about violence. And so we, we want to talk about police violence uh, against uh, uh, black folks, and, and we should, of course. Uh, but then some people are observing, but then the popular music, right, yeah. and, and the movies, et cetera, uh, also seem to be culpable. We, we're, we're, we're setting a temperature and a tone uh, uh, about violence and its acceptability. And so, I, you know, without getting too esoteric here, I wonder, I wonder what your thoughts are about, about that. Do you think that's a factor in any of this? Well, I do think it's a factor. Someone said to me, Rob, years ago, and, you know, I love secular music, you know, good R&B, soul, blues, yeah, jazz. Sure. But they said, I think you, you know, have to love the blues if you're in Memphis. In Memphis, <laughs> right? That, you know, your spirit needs to be fed as well. And so if all you're doing is taking in secular 
then how are you even feeding the other parts of who you are? I think people get discouraged, though, Rob, because the whole issue of policing and then even violence is part of this whole larger structure of systemic issues of inequality. And you wonder, how do you even, like, if this is the elephant, as it were, at what point are you taking a bite if you think about uh, the inequitable funding of the public education system, substandard housing, low-wage jobs that aren't a living wage, that don't have any opportunity of upward mobility and progression that so many folks are sort of trapped in. It's a whole system, the prison industrial complex, and people, I think, of goodwill who want to be a part of the conversation sometimes don't even know where to start. And the question of violence is a part of all of that. Because when any of us are at the end of our ropes, tired, frustrated, overwhelmed, we're not our best selves. And to think about, you know, the officers functioning in those sorts of environments for their 10-hour shifts, I'm thinking about, Rob, the kids who are growing up in those environments. It's not a shift for them. It's their whole existence. So when that's all you've seen... How do you speak a word of hope? You know, and I think at that point, it really isn't about words. It's about action. What did St. Francis say? And I'm going to paraphrase, speak the gospel at all times, only use words if necessary. So as I drive through Memphis, you probably see this in Atlanta. There's a church on every corner. You know, we're where Kojic, Church of God in Christ, was founded. So the problem isn't we need more churches. What I wonder is that as people of faith, do we have boots on the ground? And that's what Episcopalians are really starting to ask themselves in West Tennessee. Like, how can we be part of this larger conversation? And quite frankly, Rob, we've not always been at the table. It's true. And, uh, you know, I, I know that's what I'm always going to get when I talk to you is, is that, you know, a balanced perspective and, and as well as, you know, what is our accountability here? Yes. You know, and I, I think, you know, no real conversation can miss that point. We, you know, what is the accountability? You know, I think I think, uh, you know, what we see in a lot of churches and what has been the norm in so many places uh, is, is that what we have with civil religion. Uh, and, and that is and that is we're, we're glad. Uh, you know, at least in the South, we still are by and large to go to church uh, as a as a cultural uh, ritual before brunch or before football, right uh, on Sundays. And uh, and and you know, the the question always is is that you know you went to church, but did church get in you? Yes, that's that's the question, and and it's a it's a troubling question, and nobody is beyond having to sit with that. I think because I you know. I think about I think about Jesus. I'm thinking a lot about Lent because you know we're also preparing for Lent, and you know Jesus had this sort of thing about kingdom. His kingdom was about cardiological recre- recreation, right? Uh, recreation uh, more than it was about economic and military domination. And I, I think as I think about it, and as I become an older gentleman, and and you know you live a little bit of life, you realize if if the Jesus that we have 
has not been in all of us, has not been really invited into our heart to move some furniture around, then what do we really have of Jesus? Yeah, you know, people of faith are really good about sort of the direct aid. If someone's house burns, we're wonderful about bringing furniture and clothing and diapers, and we do food pantries and we have community gardens. I mean, there are a lot of wonderful things that the church does do. And yet the same priest who oversees the food pantry, when she shows up at the city council meeting to advocate for the passage of bills that would actually change the situation for people, that's when you tend to get pushback from your parishioners in the pews. The structural change makes people say you're getting too political. You're crossing a line. And so then that, to me, Rob, makes me think, wow, am I being indicted? So what sort of formation have I been given to my people that they don't see the fullness of Jesus's incarnational ministry in all aspects of people's lives. He wasn't just concerned about souls. When people were hungry, he fed them. When people were physically or psychologically ill, he healed them. And have we missed that part of it? Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's a comfort to me, and I know others, to hear you as a bishop of the church on the ground in Memphis you know, speak in the way that you have spoken. And Phoebe, we just want you to know that uh, we're with you in prayer. Uh, We're a phone call away, a short flight away. Uh, But we really just pray for you that you bear witness to this living, as our presiding bishop says, our living, loving, and liberating God. Um, As dark as this night is uh, in the nation and in Memphis, you know, this is the time to see the stars best. And so I, I, I pray God's mercy, grace, strength, and courage uh, on you and on the people you love and serve for you guys to be just that light in this darkness. Thanks, Rob. We really feel it. Yeah. We really feel the prayers and the support. And I think that has been a source of hope for us that we know we're not in this alone. And we also know this is a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. And and these really significant issues are going to take a lot of effort over a lot of years. But I think good folks in West Tennessee are up for the challenge. That's good news to me. Folks, we've been on with Bishop Phoebe Rofe, the Episcopal Diocese of Western Tennessee. God bless you, Phoebe. <laughs>